Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. American writer E.B. White famously wrote, If the word world were merely seductive, that would be easy. If the world were merely challenging, that would be no problem. But I arise in the morning torn between a desire to improve or save the world and a desire to enjoy or savor the world. This makes it hard to plan the day. Save or savor. Of course we want to do both. The spiritual practice of savoring cultivates the inner resources for saving. Arriving in Kenya in June, one of the first Swahili words I recognized was pole. It comes in pairs, pole, pole. I heard it so much, I knew it was important. It means slowly. Pole pole is slowly, slowly. How embarrassing to be so utterly typecast. The North American has to be told repeatedly to slow down. But there was so much to see, so much to learn. Our safari guide said, pole. What's the rush? Take your time. Savor and save. Two words I aspire to strike from my vocabulary. Busy, hurry. I long ago lost my penchant for busyness. Just the thought of busyness makes me feel like I need a nap. And hurrying? It's gotten to the point that hurrying feels like a sacrilege. Also from Kenya, this beautiful Swahili proverb, haraka haraka haina baraka, literally, hurry, hurry has no blessing. There is no blessing in the mad rush. The act of scrolling should be reserved for social media. When we scroll through our lives, half listening, only more or less present, nothing is getting all of us. We're divided up into little pieces. Our friend Beth Goldstein prepares a beautiful table, then unapologetically requests that her dinner guests put away our phones, enjoy delicious food, and talk to one another without the rest of the world pressing into the room. To savor 
is to make time for undivided attention. It is so restful, so restorative. Speaking to another person as if they are the only one is a precious gift we can give one another. Haraka, haraka, haina, baraka. Hurry, hurry has no blessing. As a child, American author Glennon Doyle's son, Chase, was wildly creative. His parents would find him at the kitchen table drawing maps of the world and making lists of every country on earth and its capital. He wrote song lyrics and littered the house with little poems. And then he turned 13. He wanted nothing more than a cell phone. And his parents bought him a cell phone and watched their son disappear. Chase stopped drawing and writing when he was with his family. Even when he wasn't on his phone, he was gone, just hovering. Somehow, writes his mother, he had found a place easier to exist than inside his own skin. That was tragic, she continues, because inside the itchiness of our own skin is where we discover who we are. When we're bored, we ask ourselves, what do I want to do with myself? We are guided, perhaps, toward a pen and paper, a guitar, the forest, a soccer ball, a spatula. The moment after we don't know what to do with ourselves is the moment we find ourselves. Right after itchy boredom is self-discovery but we have to hang in there long enough without bailing. When we hand our children phones, we steal their boredom from them. I was once talking to a Silicon Valley executive who had played an integral role in the creation and proliferation of cell phones. I asked her how old her kids had been when she'd bought them phones. She laughed and said, Oh, my kids don't have phones. Ah, I thought. Don't get your kids high on your own supply. It took Glennon Doyle about a year of witnessing Chase slowly disappear before she approached him with her insight. She told him she knew he would be happier without his phone, more present, and live again inside his brain and heart instead of in the cyber world. And she said she wouldn't take his phone away. As it turned out, Chase understood what had happened to him. He'd read that kids are increasingly stressed and depressed because of social media. He knew that he and his friends weren't talking to each other the way they used to talk. And he had read that Ed Sheeran had given up his phone the British musician said he wants to create instead of looking at what others create, wants to see the world through his own eyes instead of through a screen. Chase said he knew he'd be happier without a phone. And of his own accord, he quit social media and now uses his phone only for texting. 
and the old chase reappeared. In Grateful Simplicity, subtitled The Philosophy and Politics of the Alternative American Dream, philosopher, political activist, and former staff member of the House Budget Committee, Jerome Siegel, writes, the time we give to things reflects our values. When everything is rushed, then everything has been devalued. To live gracefully is to live within the flowing rhythms at a human pace. There's time to pay respect to the value of what you do, to the worth of those you care for. The blessing is in giving ourselves time to focus, take a deep dive, connect the dots, be undistracted, find the next best thing to do. Savor. Haraka, haraka, haina, baraka. Hurry, hurry, has no blessing. You've probably heard this story. Friday, January 12, 2007, morning rush hour, Washington, D.C. Violin case in hand, a youngish white man in jeans, a long sleeve t-shirt and a Washington Nationals baseball cap, emerged from the metro at the L'Enfant Plaza station and stood against a wall beside a trash can. He took out the violin, positioned the open case at his feet, threw in a few dollars and pocket change as seed money, and began to play. In the next 43 minutes, as he performed six classical pieces, nearly 1,100 people passed by. In fact, this performance was arranged by the Washington Post and filmed on a hidden camera. The violinist was then 39-year-old Joshua Bell, an internationally acclaimed virtuoso. Interview Magazine once said, his playing does nothing less than hell human beings why we bother to live. He was playing a violin handcrafted in 1713 by Antonio Stradivari. The instrument's worth is estimated in excess of three and a half million dollars. And three days before Joshua Bell had filled the house at Boston Symphony Hall, where even the pretty good seats were going for $100. Remember, this was 2007. But on that Friday in January, Joshua Bell was just another street musician. He began with Chacon from Johann Sebastian Bach's uh, Partita No. 2 in D minor, a gorgeous and spectacularly difficult piece. Three minutes and 63 people had already passed before anyone even seemed to notice. A middle-aged man altered his gait just enough to turn his head toward Joshua Bell and then keep on walking. At three and a half minutes, the first donation was dropped into the violin case, a dollar. The woman scooted off. And finally, at six minutes, someone actually stood against the wall to listen. All told, in nearly three quarters of an hour, a total of seven people stopped for more than one minute. 
27 people gave a total of $32 and change, including pennies, to a man whose talents command $1,000 a minute. That leaves 1,070 who didn't even register that standing there, violin in hand, was Joshua Bell. Later he said, it was a strange feeling that people were actually uh, ignoring me. And he laughed at himself. There were those very few people who didn't ignore him. John David Mortensen, a Department of Energy project manager, spent three full minutes listening to Joshua Bell right up until he had had to leave or be late for work. For the first time in his life, he gave money to a street musician. He knows nothing about classical music, but later he said, whatever it was, it made me feel at peace. As he listened, 94 more people passed by. The next person who didn't ignore Joshua Bell was a three-year-old named Evie Parker. On the photo, you see an adorable boy in a parka holding his mother's hand. Despite being propelled toward the door, he keeps twisting around to look at Joshua Bell. As they exit, his mother has positioned herself between her son and Joshua Bell. Evie can still be seen craning his neck to look and listen. While there was no ethnic pattern to distinguish the people who paused to listen to Joshua Bell, the behavior of one demographic remained absolutely consistent. Every time a child walked past, they tried to stop and listen. And every time a harried adult scooted them away. Poet Billy Collins once said that all babies are born with a knowledge of poetry because the lub-dub of the mother's heart is in iambic meter. And then he added, life slowly chokes the poetry out of us. The poetry, the music, the beauty, the savoring. Exactly one person in those nearly 1,100 recognized Joshua Bell. Stacy Furukawa doesn't know much about classical music, but she had been in the audience three weeks earlier when Joshua Bell gave a free concert at the Library of, concert, Con of Congress. Arriving at the Metro toward the end of the 43-minute concert, she had no idea what was going on, she said later, but whatever it was, she wasn't about to miss it. Grinning broadly, she positioned herself about 10 feet away, front row, center. It was the most astonishing thing I've ever seen in Washington, she says. Joshua Bell was standing there playing at rush hour, and people were not stopping and not even looking, and some were flipping quarters at him. Quarters. I was thinking, oh my gosh, what kind of city do I live in that this could happen? What kind of world do we live in that this could happen? A world where speed is rewarded, where we rush and cram things together so that maybe we get a little more accomplished in a day. 
Psychology Today ran an article entitled Six Mindfulness Exercises That Takes Less Than One Minute. that a full minute of mindfulness might just take too long. Haraka, haraka, hyena, baraka. Hurry, hurry, has no blessing. Welch poet W.H. Davis asked, what is this life? If full of care, we have no time to stand and stare. The Dutch actually have a word for this, Nixon, N-I-K-S-E-N. Nixon is the practice of making the time to do things like gaze out a window. They believe that daydreaming is essential to refuel our depleted energy, essential for productivity. Let's ask ourselves, do we have time for beauty? Has any of you ever visited the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art in Kansas City? It's long been on my list. I'd love to see their beautiful statue of Kuan Yin at rest, the Buddha of compassion and mercy seated in royal ease. But now there's another reason to go. They've created an exhibit with one of French painter Claude Monet's water lily paintings in an environment designed to give you an idea of what it would have been like for Monet as he painted. Over the course of 10 minutes, the lighting in the room changes to reflect the various positions of the sun throughout the day. Even the sound changes from morning songbirds to evening crickets. Can you imagine sitting for 10 minutes to look to really see water lilies. When we stop rushing and slow down, we can focus and find that everything is more interesting. We have time to remember what's important, to care, to feel grateful. We have time for beauty and time to help. I'll close with this story. Over Labor Day weekend, six of us chaperoned a huge group of Concord Academy students to Kimball Farm in Western, Mass uh, Western Massachusetts. It's a kind of mini Disneyland. One of the attractions is beach volleyball. It's a huge plot of sand featuring an ongoing game with way too many players on each side. Our kids, big crew of kids, jumped in and were having the time of their life. And suddenly, a man cried out and everything ground to a halt. In the heat of the game, he'd thrown his arm high into the air and felt his wedding ring fly off into the sand. Everyone froze. It would have been easy for our kids to drift away. Bumper boats, mini golf, and a zip line were tantalizingly close. But instead, to a person, they dropped to their knees, and our kids were the first ones on their knees, and began methodically sifting the sand for the lost ring. Friends, classmates who saw them came to help. 
I will admit to you that it looked as hopeless to me as the search for the proverbial needle in the haystack, but they were undaunted. Suddenly, the only thing that mattered was getting this guy's wedding ring back onto his hand. And sure enough, after 20 minutes of patient searching, one of our boys yelled, I have it. And the guy whose ring it was rushed over, almost disbelieving, you have it, you have it. And even before the ring returned, the two threw their arms around each other in pure joy. And then there was just a scrum of people hugging and celebrating. The ring had been found. Beloved spiritual companions, Haraka, Haraka, Haina, Baraka. Hurry, hurry has no blessing. Instead, pole, pole, slowly, slowly. Time for beauty, time to help. Let us savor and let us save. Amen. And now for our benediction, I'm gonna invite you to put your hands over your heart and namaste. I bow to the divine in you. These words are adapted from TV reporter Steve Crump. That which is worthy of doing do it well. That which is worthy of repeating, speak it with a clear voice. That which is worthy of remembering, hold it in your heart. And that which is worthy of living, go and live it now. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service 
for justice and peace.